I'd like to ask you to join me for just a moment in prayer as we begin this time tonight. Um, such an important topic we're going to be talking about this evening. And, and I came down on the floor just because I want to kind of engage with you and have you engage with me. And together, let's engage in the scripture. Uh, and so we'll be doing that together. But I'd like to just ask for God to speak to us clearly tonight through his word. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I thank you for your word that is powerful, your word that is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you for your word that is powerful, uh, so powerful it can convict us and it can change us and it can correct us, it can direct us. And God, tonight we just pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be on this time and this place. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will take the word of God and speak deeply into our hearts, deeply into our lives. And may Jesus, the Son of God, be glorified in it all. And it's in His name I pray. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question this evening. I want you to respond to one another. Uh, if you've got a, somebody near you, if not, feel free to get up and walk around if you need to. Or you can just sit there if you want to do that. That's fine. But here's the question. Who is your favorite person in the Old Testament? And who is your favorite person or character in the New Testament? Now, in the New Testament, it can't be Jesus, okay? That would be everybody's. So, in the Old Testament, who's your favorite person or character? In the New Testament, who's your favorite person or character? Uh, and if you can give us a, a real quick, quick, quick reason of, of why. Why is it that you chose so-and-so? But think about that. Who's your favorite in the Old Testament? Who's your favorite in the New Testament? Talk to one another and tell each other who your favorite is and try to discover who their favorite is. All right, let's go. Do that right now, please. Get up. Get up, please. That'll help you. Get up. All right, that, that hopefully gave you enough time to figure it out. Who is your favorite, let, and there's no right or wrong, this is your favorite, okay? Who's your favorite Old Testament characters? Give them to me. David. David. Who else? Who else? Moses. Let's have one more. Daniel. Huh? Oh, Job. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, Jonah. You could go with Jonah, but we'll go with Job. Job. 
I was wondering. I, I didn't say it had to be a man. I just said, so Peggy, who's your favorite? Ruth? Ruth? Esther? Is that good? Hannah, thank you. All right, so that's Old Testament. Who's your favorite in the New Testament? Thomas, I like that name, Thomas. All right, Paul, John, Zacchaeus, okay. Zacchaeus, what was the other ones? Mary. Mary. We got a lady in there finally. All right, I was wondering. Mary, absolutely. Peter. Okay. All right, so I'm, I'm out of room, so I'm going to stop there. These are what we might call some of the heroes of the faith. And there's others that you and I could add. I, I would add uh, Jeremiah over here. Um, certainly Paul would be one of mine. Peter would be one of mine. Uh, so... These are some of the heroes of the faith, and they, they all have something in common. At least probably most of them do. Actually, most of them probably have two things in common. And here's the first one. What do all of these names, all of these people have in common? I would say the first thing is this. They found themselves in places of leadership, placed there by God, not by themselves. They found themselves in places of leadership, placed there by God, not by themselves. In other words, somebody said Moses. Moses didn't sign up one day and say, hey, I got this great idea. How about if I go down to Egypt and try to get some of those people out? He didn't volunteer for that. In fact, if you remember the story, he didn't want to be there, did he? He didn't want to go. Joseph, Joseph certainly didn't sign up for slavery and for prison to one day get positioned so that he could help uh, uh, God's people during years of famine. Peter, somebody said Peter. Peter was just minding his fishing business. And all of a sudden, he finds himself being called to be an apostle. Paul, Paul was very happy with his Jewish life and the way that he was advancing in Judaism. He was very happy to live in Jerusalem. And God called him to leave that city and to be a missionary to take the gospel to the entire world. Here's one of the things that all these people have in common. They found themselves in a position where God used them, but it was not a position of their own making. It was something God gave them an opportunity to do, something God called them to do. It was something that God put before them, but it was not something that they made happen. Now, we've got a lot of scripture tonight. I hope that you got your Bible. And I'm going to try not to go too long, but my goodness, there's so many good things to look at. I want to start in 1 Kings. I want to start in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 16. Might sound like a very unusual passage when we read it, but I want you to be looking for a contrast that we're going to see in this text. 1 Kings chapter 16. Verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, son of Hananiah, against Baasha. And watch what he says. I lifted you up from the dust and made you leader of my people Israel. 
But you walked in the ways of Jeroboam and caused my people Israel to sin and to provoke me to anger by their sins. We're not going to get into that story. I just want you to notice how God summarizes this man. He says, I lifted you up from the dust and I made you a leader of my people Israel. In other words, just like these people here, Baasha was... He was in the place he was in, not because it was a place of his own making, not because he, he kind of had more to offer than others. God said, I lifted you up from the dust, and I made you a leader over my people Israel. Here's the interesting thing about that story. And again, we don't have the time to read his story or even to study it, but here's the interesting thing about his story. Baasha had God's hand of blessing on him, and then he didn't. I want you to hear that again. He had God's hand of blessing on him. And then he didn't. Look at the text again. Verse 2. I lifted you up from the dust and made you a leader of my people Israel. He had God's hand of blessing on him. But then watch what happens. But. You walked in the ways of Jeroboam and caused my people Israel to sin. So here was a man lifted up from the dust, put in a position that God placed him in, experiencing the hand of God's blessing. And then all of a sudden, he didn't. I'm going to give you four or five things to write down. Some of you are taking notes. You brought your notebook or whatever. I'm going to give you four or five things to write down. The title is simply Pride and Humility. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Pride and humility. And I'm going to give you four or five things to write down. And, and I will say each time, write this down. And it's, it's a statement that I want you to understand. It's a statement I want you to remember. And maybe you'll have some opportunity to go back and look at this a little deeper and a little closer. But here, write this first one down. Number one, God is not obligated to use you or me. The only reason we ever have a chance to serve the Lord the only reason we ever have a chance to be used by the Lord is because of God's goodness, God's grace, and God's choosing. Going back to Baasha, it says in verse 2 again, I lifted you from the dust, and I made you a leader over Israel. But you chose to lead them into sin. God is not obligated to use you or to use me. And when you look at this list on the board, Old Testament guys and gals and New Testament guys and gals, when you, it's obvious they didn't get where they were simply because they worked harder than everybody else. It's obvious that the reason they were where they were, the reason that God used them the way he did, it was not because they had more moxie, you might say, but God had his hand on them. God placed them in that position for a purpose. Look at this list. God placed them in that position for a purpose. They were placed there by the hand of God, not by the work of themselves. Most people that God used were people that didn't have a whole lot to offer God. They really weren't expecting God to do anything in their life. They were just living life. And God lifted them from the dust to make them one of his leaders or one of his servants. By the way, we're all from the dust, are we not? 
So I said that's one thing that all these people have in common. One of the things they all have in common is, is that uh, God used them in, in incredible ways, but it wasn't because of them, it was God's choosing to use them. It was not something of their own making. Here's the second thing that I want you to remember about all of these people that you see in the Bible, Old and New Testament. The second thing that I want you to see is this. Most of the people that God used had to learn humility. That may not be true for every person on the list up here, but for most of the people on this list, if you study their lives, if you study the Scripture, most of the people that God used had to learn humility. Let's go back to Moses, for example. D.L. Moody, the great preacher many years ago, centuries ago, D.L. Moody said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody, and he spent the next 40 years in the backside of a desert thinking he was nobody. And finally, he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. I heard it similar to that, but a little bit different, that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years realizing he's nobody, and he spent the last 40 years finding out what God can do with a nobody, who, what God can do with somebody who realizes they're a nobody. Here's my point. Most of the people that God used in the Bible, not all of them, but many of them, had to learn humility. Joseph, for example. Thought he was on here. He is now. Do you remember the story of Joseph? When he was young, would you say that Joseph was, uh, was a humble young man? No. Uh-huh. Spoiled rotten? Yeah. It is, he had the coat of many colors his daddy had given him. He'd strut around with his brothers and just show them all that, that his dad had done and all that. Joseph was not a guy that, that really was a humble man. He was kind of full of himself. Had a pretty high opinion of himself until he was sold into slavery and banished to prison. And, and it was there that he began to learn humility. David. Israel's greatest king. You know the story of David at all. You know, there were lots of times, several times, where David had to learn humility. Where God humbled him. Paul had an incredible ministry, did he not? He had an incredible ministry. Incredible life that he led. And Paul had this amazing heavenly vision. And do you remember what happened after the heavenly vision? That's when God gave him the thorn in the flesh. Because he had to learn humility. Peter, Peter was the one who proudly proclaimed one day to Jesus, if everyone else fails you, I sure won't. Proudly said that. And that evening he failed. Just that evening he already failed in his promise. He had to learn humility and he really learned it well, did he not? Because he was sitting by the Sea of Galilee days later, the resurrected Lord looked at him, one-on-one conversation and said, Peter, do you love me? Three times they had this conversation. Do you love me? Jesus was not trying to rub his face in the situation. Jesus was trying to get to the heart of, do you love me? And Peter had to go through the school of humility. And the reason I bring that up is because most of us eventually have to go through the school of humility. Years later, I'll show you why I say this. Years later, 
Peter, as an older man, is writing to some younger pastors. Would you go in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5, I believe it is. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, Peter, years later, as an older man now, is writing to some young pastors and leaders, and he says in verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you, you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Then for a second time, skip down to verses 5 and 6. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility. Watch this. All of you, close yourselves with humility toward one another. Because, and here's the reason, and he's quoting from Proverbs here, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you mark your Bible, I would ask you to underline or highlight that phrase. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I would ask you to remember that phrase, remember that verse, because you're going to see it again later on in just a few minutes as we look at some more scripture. And then he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. There's so much we could talk about in that passage of scripture, but let me just ask you to write this down. The second point here, just write this down. Humility is a choice. By the way, pride is too. Pride is a choice. But here, Peter is stressing that humility is a choice. At some point, we each have to come to the place where we make a decision. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about God? The way I live my life. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about God? Am I going to try to make my name great or or am I going to try to make his name great? Am I going to try to make myself look good or am I going to try to point others to him? Is it going to be about me the way I live my life, or is it going to be about God? And here's the choice. When you humble yourselves, you are positioning your life for God to use you. When you're humbling yourself, you are positioning your life for God to put His hand on you. But if you choose not to do that, if you choose to be caught up in pride, You're positioning yourself for God to take his hand off of you. It says right there in 1 Peter chapter 5, or chapter 5, verse 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this morning when I said, what's the one thing that you could do that would position your life to be used by God? What's, What's that one thing that you could do to get your life in such a situation you'd experience the blessings of God in your life? Here it is. Humility allows God to put his hand of blessing on you and pride causes him to remove it. I want to say that one more time. Humility allows God to put his hand of blessing on you and pride causes him to remove it. Read the text one more time. Young men, verse 5, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. This is a choice that you have. Clothe yourselves toward one, with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. And then Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. 
under God's mighty hand. Watch this. Look at this. When you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, you are positioning yourself for God to put His hand of blessing on you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Humility allows God to put His hand of blessing on you. Pride causes God to remove it. I like the old Indian, uh, it's an ancient uh, Indonesian parable. I don't remember where I first heard this. I heard it years and years ago. It's an Indonesian parable about a turtle who flew through the air by biting a stick that two geese were holding. Get this in, in your mind. Again, this is just a parable, an Indonesian parable. There were two geese flying through the air holding a stick in their mouth and the turtle was between them holding onto the stick. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was pointing. Everybody was, was excited about it. Everybody kept pointing. and Everybody kept praising the geese, how smart that they were to be able to do that and how they were flying together. And, and everybody was praising the geese for carrying that turtle like that. And finally the turtle had all he could take and he, he opened his mouth and said, this was my idea. He opened his mouth, Remember? It really is true that pride goes before the fall. Literally. <laughs> Here's, if you study scripture, you'll find again and again that pride gets in the way. Pride gets in the way and pride always ends up costing us. So write this down. Here's the third thing I want you to get tonight. Write this down. God values humility. I want to prove that to you by going to an Old Testament scripture that you know by heart. But I want you to turn there. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Or is it 2 Chronicles? 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We know this scripture because we always read it when we're having a revival or something like that. It's a wonderful scripture. God's speaking to his people Israel. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. The first step in getting right with God. The first step in seeking God. The first step in returning to God is always the step of humility. God said, if my people will humble themselves, then, then I will respond. But if they don't humble themselves, God has no obligation to respond. You see, basically here, if I could summarize that scripture, if I could summarize that whole scripture for you, it would be this. God is drawn to humility. It's amazing when you read the scripture from that perspective. God is drawn to humility. Again, I just want to show you some examples in Scripture. So if you go to the right and go to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57. Verse 15. For this is what the high and the lofty one says. Uh, 
that, that's a reference to God, of course. For this is what the high and the lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. And here's what God says. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God said, I live in a high and holy place, but I love to get down with people who are humble. God was saying, I'm drawn to humility. I live in a high and holy place, but I'm drawn to humility. You're in Isaiah. Go over to chapter 66. Chapter 66 says, uh, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. And so before you read any more, look up here for a moment. Before you read any more, God said, I just want you, I want you to get this picture in your mind. Heaven, all of heaven, that's my throne. Earth, that place where you're living, that's my footstool. If there's anybody who has the right to be prideful, it would be God, right? And I don't mean prideful in a sinful way. But let's look and see what he says. This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? And then he says in verse 2, don't miss verse 2, Has not my hand made all these things? So, and, so they can, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God said, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. But let me tell you who I'm really drawn to. He says, I'm really drawn to, the one I esteem is one who is humble and contrite in spirit. So, Pastor Keith, what is humility? How would you define humility? Humility, somebody said this, I think I heard Adrian Rogers say this years ago. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. That's a good word. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. I would liken it to what the Scripture says in the New Testament, dying to self. Thinking of yourself less. Lanier Burns said, at the most basic level, the Bible defines humility as God-centeredness and pride as self-centeredness. I think that's accurate. Now, Jesus in more than one occasion, spoke about this tension between pride and humility. And it is a tension that we all live with. Listen, if you leave here and say, well, I don't have, I shouldn't come tonight. I don't, I don't have any problem with pride. You're not listening. <laughs> we all have a problem with pride to one degree or another. There's, there's always this tension between self and self-centeredness and God-centeredness. There's always this tension between pride and humility and so let me show you something that Jesus said in Matthew 23 Matthew 23 Matthew 23 verse 12 for whoever exalts himself will be what church Humbled. God, God knows how to humble you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Uh, you could look at this list and, and pull out some examples of that. Whoever exalts themselves. 
will be humbled. And then he goes on to say, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Notice in the last part of that verse, it talks about humbling yourself. It goes back to what I said earlier. Humility is a choice. Now let me show you how dangerous pride can be. And and quite frankly, this is where this Bible study started. When I was reading Psalm 10, I was struck by the words that were used in Psalm 10. And that led me on on this excursion into Scripture about pride and humility. Psalm 10 It was just a a phrase or two in Psalm 10 that grabbed my attention. But my goodness, what a powerful word picture it gives us. Psalm 10, verse 4. We're not going to read the whole psalm. Just focus on verse 4. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. You want a pretty good definition of pride? In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. Because he's so full of himself. She's so full of herself. In all, I really like that word picture. In all his thoughts, in all her thoughts, there is no room for God. Write this down. Write write down this lesson. When there is pride in our lives, there's no room for God in our lives. There's pride in our lives. There's no room for God in our lives. Pride can be summarized as an attitude of self-sufficiency. Write these three things down. Self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-exaltation. Self-sufficiency. I don't need anybody, not even God. Self-importance. I'm the most important person that walks into the room. Self-exaltation. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Look at what I did. Look at what I've done. That's the essence of pride. It's a focus on me rather than a focus on God. And these, this word picture, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there is no room for God. And I don't want to get to the place where in my thoughts there's no room for God because I'm so full of myself. So that brings me to a point of application. I want to try to land the plane. i got a couple of other places I want to take you, but I want to land the plane uh, with a point of application. Go with me to the New Testament, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'm going to give you the point of application first. Then we're going to read the scripture because I want you to be looking for it in the scripture as we read. So if I could summarize all that we've talked about regarding pride and humility and say, okay, what does all this mean? How do we apply it to our lives? Here's the one point of application I would give you. Root out the sinful attitude of pride and do it today. Root out the sinful attitude of pride. Dig it out. Look for it. Search for it. Get rid of it. Root out the sinful attitude of pride and do it today. Now, I base that on Scripture. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10 says this. But He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Does that verse sound familiar to you? Do you remember when we were reading in 1 Peter? I said, remember that verse, you're going to hear it again. Isn't it interesting? I don't know of many places in the Bible where you'll find this. Isn't it interesting that Peter is quoting that verse from Proverbs and James also quotes that same verse from Proverbs. Two different places, two different 
books of the Bible, two different authors, two different times of writing, and both of them, under the Spirit of God, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, were led to point us back to the book of Proverbs, back to this verse that says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. What's that one thing that you could do that would position your life to be used by God? God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So, root out the sinful attitude of pride. Now, let's keep reading. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Watch this, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Root out the sinful attitude of pride and do it today, and He will lift you up. The late John R.W. Stott said it this way, He said, and I quote, Pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. So I want to close with two illustrations from Scripture about the power and the danger of pride and humility. Two Scriptures, uh, I wish we had time to really dig into them, but at least we can read them. The first one is found in the Old Testament and the second one is in the New Testament. So let's go to the Old Testament Scripture and I want you to go find 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And this one blew my mind. 2 Chronicles 26. Let me give you the the background behind chapter 26. There was a young man, a teenager, named Uzziah. And he became the leader. He became the king of God's people. At the age of 16. At the age of 16, he became the leader of of the king of Judah. He set his heart out to seek God. And he apparently put himself under the spiritual mentorship of a man named Zechariah. In other words, there was an older man in his life who was mentoring him and helping him because he's only 16. And he's the king of God's people. So we pick up the story. Then all the people, chapter 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Eleth and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his father. Now, follow closely verses 3 through 5. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. And his mother's name was Jecoliah, and she was from Jerusalem. Now, watch this, verse 4. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He's 16. He has an older man in his life named Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. And it says at the end of verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord... Watch this, look up here. God gave him success. As long as he sought the Lord, God's hand of blessing was on him. We don't have time to read the whole story. Skip down to verse 15. Let's see what happens. 
in Jerusalem, it's talking about all the accomplishments of, of Uzziah. He was a man who became, though he was young, he became a great military leader. And it talks about his accomplishments in verse 15. In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the cornered defenses to shoot arrows and to hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. We, we don't have time to read the whole story, but you see it, don't you? As long as he was humble, God's hand of blessing was on him. But when he became prideful, When he became powerful and prideful, the Bible says his pride led to his downfall and God's hand of blessing was removed from him. That's one story from the Old Testament about humility and pride. But I want to close by looking at one other New Testament example. And this is not really an example of pride, but it is clearly a great example of humility. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. You know the scripture, you knew where I was turning probably, but let's read it with fresh eyes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude, everybody say your attitude. Would you say? Yeah, your attitude, my attitude, our attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be held on to, is what that word means. But made him, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in, the, in, the appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Remember we said humility is a choice. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Remember in Peter it says, if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. Look how it's played out here. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's the one thing you could do to position yourself to be used by God? The one thing you could do to really experience the hand of God's blessing on your life? It's humility. A God-centeredness, not a self-centeredness. And what's the one thing that you could do that would cause God to remove His hand of blessing? Uzziah would say, I can tell you that, what the answer is to that one. It's pride. Because pride leaves no room for God. So today, you and I have to decide. We have to choose. If we're going to root out the pride in our life 
so that we can position our lives to be used by Almighty God. I'll say it to you this way and we'll close. Living for yourself is a very small way to live. I mean, just think about it. Living for yourself, trying to make a name for yourself, is a small way to live when you have the opportunity to live for God and for His purposes and for His glory. Isn't that a much bigger, better way to live your life? That I want to live my life for His purposes and for His glory. If I live my life for my purposes and my glory, man, that is a small way to live. And it's not going to last long. But if I live my life for His purposes and His glory, that is a wonderful way to live your life. And Jesus, of course, above all others, modeled that lifestyle for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and just as it has challenged me just to examine my own heart, to examine my own motives, to examine my own life and to really decide if I'm going to try to live life being self-centered or God-centered. And I know we all know what it's like for pride to get in the way. We all know what it's like to because of success, because of power, because of, of the applause of others. It, it's so easy just to let pride take center stage. We tonight want to declare we want Jesus to have center stage. We want Jesus to sit in that chair at the center of our heart, the center of our lives. We want to be a people that is God-centered, that are God-centered, not self-centered. So help us to become a church where Jesus is honored. A church where Jesus is glorified. A church where we focus on lifting up Him rather than anyone else. And it's in His name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Alright, next Sunday night, Tom's going to dress casual. You join him out in the field, alright?